So let me just put my cards on the table this morning. Uh, I believe Jesus is alive. Uh, I don't want to beat around the bush. He is risen. Uh, He came. He dwelt with us some 2,000 years ago uh, in a place uh, near Palestine, what we would see as Israel, Galilee, a region up uh, north of Jerusalem. And he lived a sinless life. He was fully God and yet fully man. It's a mystery that no one can fully explain. He uh, was crucified, uh, though he had lived a sinless life. And he died for our sins, not having anyone take his life, but he said, laying it down for our sake. And he died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day, he rose, physically rose from the dead. We're not talking metaphysical stuff here. We're not talking aberrations. We're not talking computer graphics. We're not talking all sorts of magic. We're talking the risen Savior. Jesus is alive. This is followers. We are to be, as what N.T. Wright said, resurrection people. We're to be resurrection people between Easter and the day of his return. We are in that period now, in the period between the day he actually rose from the dead and the day that he will physically come back again. And N.T. Wright says um, that we're to be a sign of the first, Easter, and a foretaste of the latter, his return. I love that. We are to be a sign of his resurrection and a foretaste of what is to come. When people get up close to us, they should have a hint of resurrection power. They should have an indicator that something more is about to happen. And they should wonder why there is such hope in these people who follow this one who came 2,000 years ago. There's hope in us because he's alive. And so these Sundays after Easter, the six Sundays immediately after Easter, before Pentecost, typically called in high church Eastertide. And I like to take these six Sundays and focus more fully on his resurrection because it changed everything. And so we pick up the story sort of where we left off last week in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And as they walked about, excuse me, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened. Oh, I bet they were. And they thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, it's just too good to be true, Jesus. I'm not sure I can believe it, but I want to. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish And he took it and ate it before them. I'm going to say it again. Resurrected Jesus is the coolest Jesus. He does 
cool things. You can't convince me otherwise. He, he is always blowing the top off of our thinking, our understanding, our experience. This scene is late on the day, the very day that he rose from the dead, the same day. And the disciples are in a frenzy. They are still afraid. They're behind locked doors, the Gospel of John says. They're confused. They're rattled. Earlier that day, some of them had found the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. And even some women saw angels. Another Gospel reports that one saw Jesus himself And now some of them have returned from Emmaus, having traveled there earlier in the day. And they have amazing news. But before they can get there, the rest of them have already heard that Jesus might be alive because Simon has actually seen him. And here they are, all the disciples gathered in this one place. And they're talking about what's happening and what it must mean. And suddenly... Oof, I don't know what the sound effect would be. Uh, I don't know if he, ta-da, I don't know what he would do. He, I don't know what the sound effect would be, but all of a sudden he's standing there. He didn't slip in, in the back door. Uh, He didn't, uh, you know, come up out of the ground. He just all of a sudden appeared. Um, And... (laughs) And then he says, peace to you. He would have had to say peace to you. Because I don't know if some people may have fainted. They're like, what? People are like, ah, screaming. What is that, a ghost? Oh, my. Man, this is such a scene. They ought to make a movie about this. (laughs) They have made a few. I don't know if, you know, anyway, that was a bad joke. All right, so... And thank you, Joe. And here they are talking all about this and suddenly he shows up and he says, peace to you. Now, you know, he didn't have to start with peace. He could have started with uh, correction, scolding, uh, disapproval, uh, elimination. Uh, I gave you guys a chance. You're out of here. I'm picking another 12. Uh, No, he didn't start with those things that we could see why he might have. He starts with peace. Peace to you. And yes, it's a a traditional Jewish greeting that probably was famous in that time, still is. Um, But he was saying so much more than hello. (laughs) Um, He probably said it in Hebrew. Shalom alechem. Peace to you. Shalom is what we would probably say. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom, and it means to make it good, to restore, to put back right. With a sense of completeness, of fullness, of wholeness, and also reciprocity. Our own Bill Conley, who enjoys studying the significance of Each Hebrew letter in Hebrew words tells me that shalom means destroying the authority attached to chaos. Destroying the authority attached 
to chaos. I find that very insightful. Because Jesus shows up here in this room with his disciples saying peace to you, and he's destroying their chaos. Wouldn't you like him to destroy your chaos? Anybody got some chaos that needs some destroying? Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Stand among us. Speak peace. Dispel our chaos in Jesus' name. Of course, this, is one the, this wasn't the first time Jesus had said these kinds of words to his disciples. On the night, just four nights earlier, that he was betrayed, that he washed their feet, that he inaugurated the, the new covenant meal, that he said such significant words to them found in John 3, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. On that night, he said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Isn't that great? Not just a piece. I didn't give you a piece. I gave you my piece. Not as the world gives do I give to you, thank God. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Just think how many times they've seen Jesus demonstrate peace. Give peace. Leave them in peace. Have them exercised by peace. But now the trauma of the last few days and the disbelief of all that's gone on and the surprise that he is now standing right in front of them requires him to say it again, to do it again. He's there with them being peace, speaking peace, giving peace, dispelling chaos in their midst. And that's what they needed, for their hearts were troubled, and they were much afraid. And that's the very thing he said, don't be if you have my peace. I give you my peace, and if you have my peace, your hearts do not have to be troubled, and you do not have to be afraid. He didn't say, if I give you my peace, all your troubles will go away. He didn't say, if I give you my peace, you're just going to live a fantasyful life with no problems whatsoever. Don't worry, be happy. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus is not living in a fantasy world here. He recognizes that in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. You know why we take heart? Because he's overcome the world. We can have peace because he overcame it all. The trouble you face, the fear that you have, that can be dealt with by his peace that he offers to you today. Ooh, I went preaching there. Some of y'all need to help me out a little bit. I like that word from Jamie. You need to start exercising a little bit. Some of y'all are boring in worship. You, I mean, I'm serious, you're boring. And you might not even be here until 1020. I'm like, if the rapture came at 10 o'clock, you'd be left behind. It's time to get a little more engaged, a little more serious, and get into what God is doing and saying today. Thank you. Boy, it's pretty bad when I got to gin you guys up like that. But I'll do it. Listen, you're going to find this kind of talk of peace throughout the New Testament. Uh, oftentimes, it's in greetings and salutations of letters that uh, others wrote. But it's always a life-changing message. 
peace, the peace of God. Like when Paul said to the Philippians, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. (laughs) That is so good because I don't understand a lot of things. And for those of us that demand to understand, this is a verse we need to memorize. Because oftentimes our demand to understand keeps us from receiving the peace that guards. Did you hear that? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then to the church in Colossae, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So they're guarding your hearts and minds, the peace is. And now it's ruling. That means it's telling, dictating to your heart how you're supposed to live. Oh, that could just preach a whole nother sermon. I'm going to go there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and the church in Thessalonica. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Wow, I'll take that peace. At all times in every way. The Lord be with you all, which is so fascinating. It's like he just said, may the peace be with you. Because if the Lord is with you, the peace is with you. He is our peace. Such peace can only come from him. The world is full of distress and agony and anxiety and fear. Everything that is unpeaceful, you see all over the news, all throughout our city, all in our neighborhoods, in our schools. I see it every time I go over to Central Gwinnett every week to work with the Velocity students. You see it. You see a lack of peace. But when God comes into the equation, when he comes into your life, when he busts into the room that you've got the doors locked on, he speaks peace that changes you. It doesn't remove the circumstances. It helps you go through them with his help. It's his presence. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus. That's what peace is. Not as the world gives, he said, but as he gives. It's supernatural. We have, as the church, flattened the message of the gospel. We have said to the world, we're just one of many options. Come check us out. And that is not the truth. We serve a living God. And his transcendence should raise our eyes to see that though we cannot explain it, and though we may not understand, he is still here. And he is still able to do things far above all that we could ask or think. That's the kind of God we serve. I say to the world and anyone that does not know him, I can't explain to you why he or how he rose from the dead, except that the power of God did it. And here's the great news. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can quicken your mortal body. That's amazing. His peace guards our heart and our mind. It it silences the voice of the enemy. And it quiets our anxiety. And it's not swayed by our circumstances. It is steadfast in us. And it rejoices even when we have to suffer. And that peace sings a song in the midst of trial. For the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace of whose righteousness and peace there will be no end is our peace. And he speaks peace to his own, 
to you, over you, into you, settling your troubled hearts and addressing your doubts and calming your fear. Shalom, ahechem, peace to you. But it wasn't just peace that he gave them in this moment. He did something else here. You saw it. He offered them proof of his resurrection by showing them his hands and his feet. Look, guys, it's really me. Look, come on, come closer. I'm not a ghost. Come on, come touch. Touch, see, flesh and bones. Look, it's really me. No, don't be afraid. Come on, come close. Here, give me some food, fish, great. Give me the fish. Here, he eats the fish. James must have made this fish. He's great at making fish. I love that, James, that's great. I don't know if he said that. He's eating right in front of them. They're like, whoa. We know very little about Jesus's resurrected body. But what we do know is fascinating to me. Uh, it was the same body restored, but also changed. Um, still human, but very much glorified. He could pass through walls and doors, yet eat solid food. And those who knew him best didn't recognize him at first, but soon enough, they knew it was him. Maybe the most intriguing thing about Jesus' resurrected body was that he kept his scars. The wounds that made scars are still visible today. And when you see Jesus face to face, I have a feeling he's going to show you his scars. You and I have scars, probably. I have scars. I have a scar right here under my chin. Every morning that I shave, I'm reminded of what happened that gave me that scar. And as an eight-year-old afraid little boy who couldn't swim, my parents put me in swimming classes at the YMCA. And so they put me in the deep end, hanging onto the edge. And I'm so afraid that I'm going to drown while I'm putting my head underwater to get used to it that I get so close to the wall, I bang my chin on the side of the pool and blood goes everywhere. It was not a happy day at the YMCA. <laughs> By the way, that was the same YMCA a year or two earlier I got baptized in. I don't know what the significance of that is. <laughs> you have not shed blood for the king. Wait. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway. I remember that every time I shave. I have a scar right here in my hand. I can see it. And every time I put my watch on, I see it. Every morning, every day I take it off. It was when I was in high school, a good friend of mine accidentally stabbed me with an X-Acto knife. Yeah, you're like, how good of a friend was he? Well, he didn't get the vein. He got the other part. So I have, a, I have a scar right here on my shin. In 1985, I was a leader at the Boy Scout Jamboree in Virginia. And Hurricane actually became Tropical Storm Bob came through. And there we have, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 scouts all camping out on this Fort AP Hill, Virginia. And they're like, we can't escape, just batten down the hatches. And so there we all are in tents, all just trying to, to weather this tropical storm bob. And I'm out there trying to get these kids in tents, not like it's going to be any protection, but we're trying to keep them somewhat batting out. And as I'm walking to, get, to deal with one kid, this wooden sign comes off its hinges and flies across and hits me in the shin. And so there I am bleeding profusely. I have to go in and get stitches. It's a mess. 
I remember that scar. I have the scars to tell you the stories. I have scars, but they're not significant. My scars carry very little little meaning. His scars say a lot. He showed his hands and his feet to these guys. Come here, let me show you what I did. He showed them as proof that he's the same Jesus that died on the cross just days earlier. But also to remind them and us that our redemption is paid in full. He paid it all. His wounds were suffered for our healing, for our salvation, for our freedom. His wounds purchased that for us. I'm glad he has the scars to show us one day. I'd like to see them. Look what happens next, verse 44. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Have you noticed that every time the resurrected Jesus shows up, he has to explain what's happened and the fact that all that's happened had to happen, that it all was pointed to in all of scripture, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it points to Jesus. And every time he's turning up, he's helping them see And it's beginning to, it's to dawn on them. Wow, now I see why he had to suffer and die. Now I see that he rose again and it all has purpose. And that very claim, that thing ignited something in these followers that caused them to go all over the world and spread this message. It was radically transformative in their lives. He pivots out of that message into that responsibility that you and I have to pick up just like they did on that day. Look what he says in verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Verse 47 really summarizes the gospel really well. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's why God sent his son to die for our sins and for those that would understand and see that message and repent, turn from where they've been heading and come back to him, they would receive his forgiveness. It's the gospel message. It's the good news that you no longer are going to be judged if you are in Christ Jesus for that which you have done. Your fault, your sin has been covered by his blood. And now when he sees you, he sees Jesus who died in your place and his blood covers your sin. And now you belong to him. And so your life is no longer your own. It's no longer what you do for yourself. You do it because of him. You don't even have life anymore. The life you now live, you live in Christ Jesus. 
That was God's gospel plan. That he would send Jesus as a sinless sacrifice for a sinful people. But tied to this truth, connected closely with it, is something quite incredible. And that is that his disciples were to be given a vital part of that redemptive plan. You and I, if we are in Christ, if you're coming to Christ, if you're coming in the process of wanting to follow him and you're still in that journey to him, when you are in Christ, now you have a job to do. They had a job to do. And it's a part of God's redemptive plan. Not that we can do anything about the redeeming, but we have a lot to do about the proclaiming. It's our job to tell of this wonderful news. He did the hard work. It's just our job to sing praises and tell about it. We are witnesses of all these things. We are his disciples, just like they were. We're to be his witnesses in our generation. Called to proclaim his name and the good news to all the nations. As Grant Osborne writes, from the start, God provided how salvation would be secured, but he also provided how it would be presented. And that's our job. That's why we're here. We're here to proclaim that message. We've got work to do. And as those who've been forgiven, our job is to get busy telling others how they can be forgiven too. I like how D.T. Niles puts it, a book that Jamie gave me the other day. It's just really simple and profound. He said this, the proclamation of the Christian is the proclamation of his presence. It is an invitation to an encounter where faith can meet the risen Christ. All of this, Jesus said, is possible because the Father made a promise. And I'm I'm going to follow through on that promise. I'm going to send to you that which the Father promised. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, stay in the city. It'll be a launching pad for you, but you stay there until you receive the Spirit power from on high. It shows you the necessity of the Holy Spirit in doing our job. We need him today. We must walk in the life and power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be effective in ministry and life. There's some strong Trinitarian language here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. With all three active in setting out this new age of the Spirit, his promise is that we would receive power from on high. Where are we today? Do we need that power? He's here to fill you with it. He's here. The Holy Spirit is here. He's been here all morning. He is here to fill you from on high. Are you in turmoil today? Do you find yourself locked behind or closed behind locked doors? Worried that someone might get in? Is your anxiety, your turmoil, your distress, your troubles, your problems, are they keeping you hidden away? Jesus can appear like that. He shows up. What does he speak? He speaks peace. Peace to you.
shalom. Let's be resurrection people as a sign that he has been raised and as a foretaste of what is to come. And let's commit ourselves to witnessing these things to the world around us, to our neighbors, to those that are close and far, to those we work with, those we go to school with, those that we live next door to, those that are at the supermarket, those that we might come in contact with, that we meet at the park. Wherever we go, let us be his witnesses proclaiming peace to a world who needs it desperately. Let's be filled with the spirit that we might do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife is gonna come and we're gonna prepare to gather at the table. Um, This is an appropriate thing to do every Sunday. We choose to do it on the first Sundays of the month. And the table is the inauguration of Jesus' new covenant meal. When he gave bread after breaking it, he blessed it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant. It's my very blood shed for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink it. And as you do, do it in remembrance of me. I'm going to have Donna come and the teams that will gather here at the front, they're going to go ahead and come now and gather the trays so that they can position themselves where we need to be here at the front. And as we pray and approach the table, my invitation to you is that if you are in Christ Jesus, you belong at this table. This is not the table of our church. This is his table. And so if you belong to him, then you gather with other saints at his table. We like to come in small groupings and gather around these leaders here that are gonna serve. We're all a spiritual family and they will disperse the elements to you and then they will pray and you'll receive and we'll do it together. And likewise, as we're doing that, if you're in need of further ministry beyond what you'll receive here at these stations, there's gonna be an elder or two in the right corner over here and also in this corner over here, and they would be happy to pray with you further beyond the ministry that you'd receive at the table. Sweetie, you want to say what's on your heart? Oh, thank you. God helped. We're having a moment. Just see that? God doesn't make mistakes. Oops, my phone. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't need a plan B. And yet, he gives us the right to make a choice, our way or his way. He isn't having to balance whether it's justice or mercy. He is the only one capable of giving justice and mercy. He is the only one who is perfect and true. He is our message, not our understanding of him, not our experience of him or our interpretation of him. He alone is our message. And one of the things that I so appreciate about the opportunity to take communion is that 
by what Jesus did, he says we are qualified partakers because of what he did on the cross. But if we're qualified partakers, that's what makes us qualified witnesses. We aren't limited to telling this much of the Jesus that we know. We get to be qualified witnesses because we have partaken of him. So when you take today, when you take communion, wherever you are in your relationship with him, in that moment, you are receiving his qualifications. That's right. And consequently, you can give forgiveness in his name. Mm -hmm. You can give hope in his name. Mm -hmm. You can give peace in his name. That's right. when you take today, receive all that he is, Yes. and then be faithful, what Jamie said, practice it, do it, That's right. be active. Amen. Let's pray. Father, our hearts do burn within us when you open up the scriptures to us like you did today. And we recognize that we are various versions of afraid, amazed, surprised, confused. But you greet us with peace. Yes, you do. That's where it starts. Where you calm our thoughts, where you still our hearts, where you get us in the right posture to receive what you have that will make the difference, just like you make the difference. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to pause, to have our hearts awakened by your words of truth, and to be able to come because you've qualified us yes, to come yes. to your table, yes. to receive all that you have, to lay down what we came in with and go out with the supernatural stuff that we desperately need. Yes, Lord. You have given us everything for life and godliness. Yes. But it starts with you. Yes. Thank you for this moment to make the trade, to once again come to the table and exchange what we have and what we are for who you are and what you have. Yes, amen. We draw near to your table at your invitation. Thank you for making a way for us to gather here. Thank you, Lord, that when we do, we're joining with all those saints that went before us and all those that will come after us, looking for the day, the marriage feast of the Lamb, when you will once again celebrate with your own with your friends, with your family. So as we take this bread today, we receive you, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life, your life placed in us and our dead, broken lives taken by you. And we receive the cup, the cup of your new covenant, the new covenant you wrote in our hearts, put it within us. And in that, you shed your blood that we could have remission of our sins and stand before you holy, stand before you righteous because you gave it to us.
We come now. We remember you. We pray that your spirit will fill us and change us and do in us what needs to be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.